that you think you're the biggest Batman fan. I don't think you can be the biggest Batman fan anymore. Who dare thinks that they can dethrone me? A three-year-old? I'm talking about am I gonna have to throw? Am I going to have to throw down with a three-year-old or something? I would hope not. I hope you just gracefully accept your defeat and let him take over the mantle. Um, no, no, I, um... No, that's not going to happen. Uh, I kind of refuse to. I'm fairly certain that our cousin knows more about nearly all superheroes than you do. Do you mean our nephew? Mm-hmm. Okay. Not our cousin. Nephew. Nephew. Because if it was our cousin, then we might have some weird blood issues then. Your mind tricks won't work on me, Riddler! <laughs> These are not the droids you were looking for. <laughs> Let's comparatively say that when you were three, he knew, knows more than you knew. I don't know. I didn't think, I used to think, oh, I only got into Batman when I became an adult, you know, uh, when I turned 18 or even 16. But apparently, I've liked Batman since I was a kid. I had a freaking big wheel that was Batman themed. (laughs) So. He has a Batman bed. He dresses up like Batman. I did too. I dressed up as uh, Goliath from Gargoyles, but I'm pretty sure I dressed up as Batman. I'm, I'm, no, stop, no, no, I've, <laughs> I've never seen that picture, I need. I don't know if there's video, or photographic Shut evidence. your mouth, there has to be, I need to see that. You know what the, the best part about it, it had wings, <gasps> it would, and there were, well, like for, you know kindergarten age me because i remember it was kindergarten because i actually got to wear it to school but it had like decent sized wings i need little kindergarten aaron dressed up as a gargoyle in my life we'll have to ask my folks to see if and maybe we'll share it on to our uh, uh onto all of our social media that is the best <laughs> thing ever i tell you what you share that and i will share the pictures when i dressed up as queen amidala from Star Wars 1. Oh, my God. Makeup, red dress, hair, and all. That's awesome. Yes. Okay. If I can find that, we will share that with you. Maybe uh, come closer to Halloween time. But uh, until then, she's Elizabeth. He's Aaron. And, and we're, we're married, married to, to the, the idea. idea. Well, since we're talking about social media, do you want to go and do the plug party real quick? Plug party. Ooh. You can find us on Facebook at Married to the Idea, Twitter, which I never ever use, at Married Number Two The Idea. Email us at Married to the Idea Reviews at gmail.com. If you forget any of those links, you can find us on our website, Married to the Idea. Weebly.com. We are on SoundCloud and iTunes. And drum roll, Aaron. It's our one-year anniversary! It is our one-year anniversary, or at least close enough to it. Uh, We uh, started our Facebook page uh, July 17th. There you go. Look at you taking notice of things. Yes. Uh, There's only so many days I can remember. We've uh, we've kind of, I don't know uh, to you, listener. Actually, we started that joke on our very first podcast. Shut your mouth. Well, we did. (laughs) Uh, We have very few running gags. That is we're like not, our one running gag. We don't. We, we're not that kind of podcast. <laughs> no, we are not Mavim Bam. The 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 running gag of only being one listener, which we I think we have at least two loyal listeners. But well, we must have more because in our first year we managed to become the award winning marriage. The idea. True, true, and we're gonna ride that white horse until it's dead. 
Maybe uh, in year two will be multiple award winner marriage the idea. <laughs> but we uh, we posted our very first episode, Wonder Woman. Oh, still so good, guys. Have you seen it? Do you remember the first half hours? Just them on an island with horses. It's the best movie. I'm. Okay, talking about Rowan, Aren't my sister showed him One Woman because she's like, and he's three. She's like, this is really good. We skipped the scary parts. All of this is good. None of this is teaching him bad lessons or showing him inappropriate things. It's all very good. Except for the, the nude scene when Chris Pine comes out of the, the bath. It depends on who you <laughs> ask on if that's fair or not. But then when she's like, well, okay, Justice League came out and Rowie loves the superhero, so I'll show him some of Justice League. And they watch the whole thing. At the end of it, they're like, we can't show him any of this. It's all dark and scary and bad. And they keep treating one woman like just an object and panning up her legs. What is happening? So, yeah, go watch Wonder Woman. A year later, we're still recommending it. So It's probably the only good dc superhero movie babe probably the only one well i don't know if i would uh, agree with that oh yeah oh yeah what could you what could you possibly have up your sleeve that is referenced in visual format precluding this episode what would you possibly bring to the table that is better than wonder woman I wouldn't say it's better than Wonder Woman, but it is certainly the start of this whole dark DC universe. And uh, I don't know, if you led me on anymore, I might be wearing a leash. Uh, (laughs) But as today's episode, or this episode, is our one-year anniversary, our big anniversary episode, it is also kind of, we are revisiting something that we've not watched in a long time. Uh, we are taking a page out of Nostalgia Critics' book, and we are revisiting a movie that we both enjoyed the first time it came out. And as you saw in the picture, unless we're going to put a big question mark or do something no, else. No, I think we should do it. <laughs> we are revisiting The Dark Knight, the second in the uh, Nolan trilogy, and the start of the DC extended universe if you really want to look at it that way god boy if that's true then it took them 10 years to write that ship and as esquire magazine says the dark knight has a lot to answer for oh man i got it so listen everyone's already talked about the dark knight how great it is how amazing heath ledger's performance is just the technical aspects and audio aspects that Christopher Nolan and Hans Zimmer brought to the table, but you have to see 10 years later that there were trends that were new to the format of the superhero movie that were brought up in this movie and then just decimated in how often they were repeated again and again and again. Oh, yes. Okay, yeah. I will absolutely concede that. I have no problem talking about how great the movie is. The movie is still great. But with 10 years of hindsight, we now have to say it is absolutely at fault for many of the problems we are seeing with the DCEU. Yeah, and that's part of the problem is Zack Snyder is saying, oh, look, I can do some stuff like Chris Nolan. And you remember how great Chris Nolan's three movies were, or at least how okay the first one was, how great the second one was, and how you thought the third one could be. 
he keeps trying to do what the first three movies of the Dark Knight trilogy tr- did. And that's all he's trying to do. He's not trying to make his own movies. The Richard Donner Superman movies and the Tim Burton Batman movies were not the same movies. They were completely different. They were different enough that they stood apart. But there's a reason why. Batman and Superman are not the same goddamn hero. You can tell how much Zack Snyder just hates the character and the concept of Superman at every frame of this of those movies. He has no idea what to do with this character. He thinks the most interesting thing to do is break him. Yeah, I must break you. <laughs> like, I, I don't understand why everyone is trying to do the Dark Knight. There's the whole point of that they 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 brought back the Batman movies from the uh, breaking point of Schumacher. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think we can absolutely pinpoint exactly why everyone's trying to do it. But I want you to talk more about Christopher Nolan because you know a lot more about him than I. You know all these little trivia facts. And we'll get to it. But I think the real crux of the issue is something that you've told me before and maybe you can elaborate on it. The Dark Knight series is first and foremost yes amazing first and foremost they are christopher nolan movies batman movies second it is absolutely his vision it is his movie you couldn't make a batman movie like him because he treats this movie and this character with the same level of realism i use realism in air quotes like inception like memento it's all weird in that it seems real, but there are things happening that are clearly fantastical, but you treat it, it's magical realism at its most realistic, I believe. So maybe you can help me break it down more about why exactly these movies are Chris Nolan movies, first and foremost. Well, I mean, you've, you've kind of, you've hit the nail on the head a little bit on that. Chris Nolan is steeped in realism, even with inception it's based in realism now not to say that inception could actually happen um that's a bit you know that's the magical part yeah it's still farcical in that and even um interstellar there's a lot of science that is kind of ignored in it i mean just look at everything wrong with with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Neil deGrasse Tyson said that Interstellar had probably most of the accurate science stuff along with gravity. Exactly. So that's what Chris Nolan does. Chris Nolan says, all right, here's a situation that I want to do. This is a situation I want to portray. I want to put guys in an airplane and I want the airplane to break apart and I want the guys to be in the middle of the plane, and I want the plane to fall apart and to go through the middle and this and that, and the guys to be left hanging out, suspended 50 miles in the air. That's a, that's a little high. Or sorry, five <laughs> miles in the air. It's still too high. Two miles in the air. Mile in the air. Whatever the height of an average airplane traveling through air. When landscapes look painted you know yes yes um you know thousands of feet in the air i just didn't want to get comments about yelling at you that mount everest (laughs) is only so many miles high yada yada this and that yada 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 but that's how chris nolan works that's how his films look i also find more and more as time goes on that his films are much more about the theme than they are about 
the character. You could even say that about the story. You can say that about most all of the elements of the movie because his characters tend to talk in thesis statements. <laughs> and it's not a problem because it's a good it's interesting. It's not done poorly. If it was executed poorly, then it'd be distracting. Then I it, find then it, it would be a Wachowski film. I enjoy the idea that the first the dark uh, sorry not the dark knight the batman begins the theme of batman begins is that it's not who i am but what i do that defines me that's what the movie is about batman fighting up criminals is almost incidental to the theme which is actions speak louder than words the dark knight is about what people deserve Versus what they need. Not only the city, but Bruce Wayne in, uh, as well. Harvey Dent. Yes, everyone yeah. is is turned from what they desire to what they deserve. And the very obvious, either die a hero or, or live, live long, long enough, enough to see yourself become the villain. So, again, I think the concept of a superhero uh, man-bat flying around the city is almost incidental to the theme of the movie it's kind of like when ang lee did crouching tiger hidden dragon he doesn't do that kind of movie he studied up and he wanted to make this one movie that happened to have flying daggers he wanted to make a ninja movie and he did it really well because he studied his craft and you can tell that chris nolan did his homework on batman and that he knows the character he knows the supporting cast he knows the motivation of him he gets it a lot right even while he reinvents it and brings it more real about how he makes batman's armor work how he gets to turn his head in the cowl when before he couldn't which was a thing that they kept talking about in all of the previous movies like if you watch the original batman they don't turn he doesn't turn with the neck he turns with the shoulders yeah and it's otherworldly but still in the thick of things yeah he probably needs to turn his neck yeah so for me the thing about trying to say hey the dark knight did it well we can do it now is that chris nolan carefully crafts his movie around his theme but most dceu movies since then are not about a theme they are about the character and if your character's not a dark and gritty character they don't need a dark and gritty movie yeah and that's and that's the thing is Superman can be, has potential to be dark and greedy, but he's not a dark and greedy character. He's not a detective. It shouldn't be a crime drama. Why is he trying to solve Lex Luthor's riddles? Why did you say that name? Yeah, like, stupid, it's stupid, stupid stuff. Exactly. That's why I didn't watch the movie. <laughs> and how we're going to talk about it with such authority, despite never having seen it. I have a lot of notes from watching it again. So this movie is 10 years old. Mm-hmm. So this is actually now, I would say only number five of yeah, me watching you don't, it. Yeah, you don't watch it a lot. But I know every scene. I know every moment. I know almost every line. It's been a while since I've watched it. I want to say, um, I don't think it's been since Dark Knight Rises has come out. I think I've watched it once since then. But... It's been a while since I've watched it. For me, the weird thing is the memory I have of watching The Dark Knight is not from the movie theater. It was downstairs in my parents' basement watching it with them, and I think you were there, maybe. I don't think so. I don't think I've watched it with your folks. But we were all watching it together, and I was thinking to myself at about the two-thirds mark, 
This movie is long, but doesn't feel it. He perfectly paces the intense action with these slow, almost silent scenes that let you catch your breath. There's all sorts of really cool moments of silence and suspension. My most memorable for me being when they actually overturned that truck in the middle of the road. That's, yeah, that, but that's not one where you catch your breath. That's one where you no, lose the, the, your breath. The idea of suspense, like you are holding your breath as it goes up. You're like, <gasps> and it's quiet, completely quiet until it lands. Crash. Bang. Yeah. And then for me, the silent moment is um, after everything's just gone to shit and spoilers, uh, Rachel Dawes has been killed in the explosion. And it's just the silence of Heath Ledger hanging out of the back of a police window with his hair in the breeze. Just and it's just as quiet. Mm. It's weird. And it's weird that that's part of the quiet moment. It's so but good. he's ca- he's almost like catching his breath. Mm-hmm. And Batman is mourning and and Bruce is mourning and everyone else is at like Harvey is like coming to terms with what happened to him. And, you know, to Rachel, it's, it's, it's incredibly sad and moving and stuff like that. So. I forgot how many jump scares are in this movie done effectively. Not mm-hmm. like, Oh, booga booga. It's like, they're literally looking outside the window, having a discussion about what will be done about the crime in this city. And then a dead cop smacks against the window. And truthfully, We've been going on for a few minutes already. We could spend this entire fucking podcast about how awesome Nolan is. Nolan. We could spend an entire podcast entirety, seasons, episodes dedicated because Aaron is a hardcore fan boy. Nolan is my favorite director. I've got a few uh, others that I really, really like, but I haven't seen a Chris Nolan film that I did not like. You didn't speak for an hour after Interstellar. Yeah, and that's that's what happens when I watch <laughs> Nolan films is that I have to absorb them. Usually I'm like, "Oh, I want to discuss them. I want to I want to I want to um, chew them up. I want to spit them out and I want to regurgitate them. I want to chat. I want to talk." But with Nolan ones, I want to let it seep. I want to let it consume me for a while. And The Dark Knight I couldn't speak. I had to let it settle. Chris Nolan is, without a doubt, my favorite director. And that's why I'm kind of like, we could easily spend an entire season talking about how great. Like, we could go movie by movie. And I've seen most of his movies. I actually haven't yet to see Dunkirk. Dunkirk. I've heard it's it's still good. Um, I, I've heard it's more along the lines of, uh, like, Insomnia and Dark Nights are on this level. It's kind of, like, more on that level. It's really good, but it's more just kind of more of a typical movie. Plus, Kenneth Branagh's in it, and I love him. I want to talk about something that people have talked to death. Because I know you're holding back right now, and I appreciate it. And I want to let you be able to go, but you to be able to let you go and go and destroy this movie i don't want to destroy this movie all right well you gotta let me go for a bit okay like i never do so i have like and she can see here i'm I'm showing her the screen so many notes a lot of notes like i took a lot of notes some of them are good, some of them are bad, some of them are like little inside, little jokes and stuff like that. If you start getting into a plot synopsis, I will reach across no. the table and smack well, you. If you've not seen The Dark Knight and you're listening to this podcast uh, talking about the 10-year anniversary of this movie, you're not, you're not listening to the right podcast. There are at least two or three things 
that I want to talk about specifically. Do it to it. The first thing that I want to talk about is there's a scene between um, Harvey Dent and Alfred, the butler. Uh, Harvey Dent says the line, you've known Rachel all her life. And uh, and Alfred says, "Uh, not yet, sir. And I've never, never have heard or read or seen anyone talk about that piece of foreshadowing. I like, and I just got it this time. And of course, you know, because this is a movie I've not sat there and digested a hundred million times like, you know, our buddy Will, that I've never seen that piece of foreshadowing. And it's such a quick little moment, too. That's real cool. The, uh, but that's just, that was one of the things. Um, uh, actually, and one other one is, is uh, when he goes to Hong Kong to get the, uh, the Asian businessman, uh, when he's flying around, it's how they filmed it and everything like that, because it's kind of a third person perspective. It seriously reminds me of playing the Arkham video games. <laughs> like, I felt like I was playing an Arkham video game, and then I'm like, oh my god, I was like, because I don't remember if the first one came out before Dark Knight Rises, or if it came out with Dark Knight, if it came out around that time. I don't think any of Chris Nolan's Dark Knight movies take influence from the Arkham games. Not in the way that Batman v Superman eventually does. Yeah, not not in that particular way. In the Arkham video games, if you never played them, you tend to do a lot of flying. Especially in the last two. In the Hong Kong scene is when he's doing it most. It really felt like the video game. So, But the two main points that I want to talk about are two performances that... One that... People talk about all the time, and you already know where that's going, but mm. I really want to talk about it. Of course. And then one that kind of gets overshadowed. Okay. And we'll do the one that gets overshadowed first. And that's Aaron Eckhart as Harvey Dent. What are you talking about, fool? I love Aaron Eckhart. You and I both love Aaron Eckhart. Um, we loved him in, you know, like, Thank You for Smoking. I don't know if I've seen him in a role that I didn't like. Or it could be my my naivete that or my blindness to him but i just aaron eckhart does a great job of delivering dialogue i think that's his strength he has a way yeah i would agree with that he has a way of delivering his lines i find him very believable i like his rise and descent i think that his portrayal of harvey dent is compelling and they they make sure that he's not the you know the third guy in the tricycle who is supposed to be just acceptable for the girl but you know she could do more with someone else they do a very good job of not just painting him this white knight he's still charismatic and enjoyable even when he's being on the side of good and he's still compelling for his want to have more control over this vigilante patrolling his streets not just leave it all to him like jim gordon does golly gee willikers commissioner gordon let's work together why don't we something i noticed in this viewing and i i have to admit watching it this time versus watching it any other time is i i have much more of a critical mind now than i did back then he is more flawed yeah than i realized the first few times he is he still has that mindset of internal affairs or that i mindset so he's always kind of like, well, what about Ramirez and this other person? What about, you know, your people, you, you still have crooked people. You know, what's going to happen with this? He keeps like, he keeps harping on this. He doesn't harp on it too much, but he keeps showing that he doesn't fully trust Gordon's squad. And like, he believes for good reason. And then there's a scene where he's trying to find Rachel and he tortures a guy. He like, he makes the guy believe that he's going to kill him. He doesn't, 
he's not actually going to kill him, but he makes the guy believe he's going to kill him. He kills a lot of guys. Whenever he turns to Two-Face, yeah. Yeah. Which, spoiler alert, he turns into Two-Face, but... But you're right, you know, he's supposed to be better than all of them, and that's what, you know, Batman reminds him of. Like, you need to be the best of us. Without you, this is just more criminality you were supposed to you were the chosen one (laughs) you were supposed to bring balance to the forest yes that was part of the theme too is is showing balance and trying to bring balance to chaos or trying to control chaos so i think what what gets what makes this performance get overshadowed is when he does turn to oh uh to two-face the CGI still holds up, by the way. That CGI is still fan-freaking-tastic. Like, it looks like... I know they did some practical effects, but not a lot. It looks like the mummy... When the mummy has like still has like pieces of his face missing, it looks like that times a hundred. <laughs> they did a really good job. Because they didn't do that much CGI. It was mostly practical effects. And it shows. This movie... Looks like it was made yesterday. What's dated is the cell phones. And it's so strange that that's what's dated. When you say dated, I think you're right. It's not dated. It's It has a timeless quality to the way that they filmed it and shot it. And However, you couldn't make this movie today. Billionaire vigilante who plays by his own rules to try and make the world a better place. Just this really dark overtone about humanity divided against itself and made to fight each other hashtag build the wall it's got too much that could be read in too many ways in today's climate a a lot of that has to do with a dark gritty fatigue but a lot of it has to do with the themes that he talks about just the idea of this anarchy and chaos and how if you take away the artifice They'll turn each other. Yeah, They'll like, eat each other. Yeah, I could say to the news that a gangbanger is going to be shot tomorrow on the street corner and no one's going to lose their mind or that a truck full of soldiers will be blown up and everybody will go about their daily business. But put one bomb in one hospital and everyone loses their minds. It's like introduce a little anarchy. You know, it does make sense. I thought you were just going to start quoting the entire movie there. For I'm a actually minute. surprised how accurate that was. It wasn't completely accurate. No, it it got the gist of it. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Thank you for not doing the accent, by the way. I resisted. The that was the thing is is like it's poignant still to this day, but it's differently poignant back in 2008 you know we didn't have the kind of we wanted someone to take control and right the wrongs we we wanted that there was just such we wanted it was okay for the government to spy on us because they could help they could find bad people and that scene more than any other is like <laughs> lucius fox says this is wrong like understatement of the fucking year lucius God. <laughs> and, like this is the nsa's wet dream right here now what we want more is we want more of the joker uh hero than we want the batman uh, of this kind of situation so you know someone to introduce a little bit of anarchy to upset the status quo i watched a review by a nostalgia critic, for another plug for them, of the Suicide Squad. I like Jared Leto. 
I know that a lot of people had issues with his Joker. I don't like the tattoo look. I don't like the grill look. I don't like the weird mobster idealized yeah greaser yeah i don't like this this look it doesn't mean it's ruining the joker oh for me look doesn't matter it's all about the attitude that you carry to the character exactly i felt like what he tried to do is what heath ledger did well well again we can talk about all the ways that dark knight kind of wrecked the dcu for 10 years they absolutely like said, oh, look at this performance. We need something just as edgy as that without understanding why it was important in this film to have this character be this way. Quick, start sending condoms to your fellow cast members. Like that's something the Joker would do. Like, and here's the thing. The Joker would find that funny, but he would find it funny for different reasons for why Jared Leto did it. The Nostalgia Critic and I kind of, or sorry, the Nostalgia Critic and I, because we're besties. The Nostalgia Critic has uh, has the finger on the pulse of this kind of stuff and has kind of helped me realize why I like the Joker as much as I do. It used to be, oh man, he's just, he, he just gets it, man, you know, he just, he's anarchy and he's chaos and he's, no, he is all of that stuff, but he isn't that stuff. He also, he's the man with a plan. He gets shit done. But he doesn't do anything without a reason. And most of the time, the reason is is because it's funny. He is a clown. That's the whole point of the Joker. That's the whole aesthetic of the Joker is that he wants to laugh. He wants to make other people laugh. He wants to make himself laugh. He wants to make Harley Quinn laugh. The laughter in the Christopher Nolan movies in The Dark Knight, the Joker inspires laughter in a fear type situation yes and as opposed to more of a like punny or witty it's more so in his actions the best one being when he goes to blow up the hospital and the fuses didn't ignite when they thought they were on set and keeping in character he just looks around and starts beating the beat the timer the detonator trying to make it work until finally it goes and he like jumps and staggers back to the bus so he can get the scene moving again and he held it he held it and that was humorous even as something terrifying was happening exactly you're laughing because it is humorous and terrifying at the same time that's the joker the direction the writing and the acting show that now the reason that mark hamill does it so well is because he has a grasp on the joker that says he he's more clown like whereas is uh, Heath Ledger's was more terrorist-like. He's doing it because he's laughing at the world. He's not laughing at the joke. He's laughing at the world. The whole barbarian in the the jungle stealing everything because he just likes the sport of it is is a perfect analogy. And I mean, that's the whole reason they wrote that into the script to begin with. That's the whole reason Christopher Nolan makes movies. Every single line of dialogue is super important and ties back to the theme. Exactly. No has irrelevant conversations in a Christopher Nolan movie. Pretty much. Whereas is like, if you look back at even like Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholson laughs at the situations. Jack Nicholson plays Jack Nicholson. Let yes. us be absolutely clear. And Jack Nicholson. Crazy Jackie is always crazy Jackie. And Jack Nicholson laughs at the situations. Jack Nicholson 
laughs at getting punched while wearing glasses. Jack Nicholson laughs at painting uh, or putting paint on the paintings. Jack Nicholson laughs at the camera people not wearing makeup. You know, it's he's laughing at the situations, and that's what makes each iteration of the Joker different but fine. And so that's why Mark Hamill and Heath Ledger and Jack Nicholson make the top three. You know, even Cesar Romero back in the day, he was more of your typical clown. He was laughing at the joke. And that's why Mark Hamill, he brought that edge to it. But he was still, he took a lot of inspiration from Cesar Romero. He's laughing at the joke. But Mark Hamill did it with that edge. So there's a huge difference why these three are the epitome of the Joker versus Cesar Romero, now Jared Leto, and then all these other people. They try, but they don't understand the true nature of the Joker. And I bring it back to Heath Ledger because there are subtle things. Yes, the lines. I'm going to do the voice. Damn, you're a freak. Like me. Like, it's... Shit like that. I was one of the fanboys who didn't understand the casting. I'm like, the pretty boy from A Knight's Tale? Really? I don't get it. I truly didn't get it. Until the trailer. This trailer, to this day, 10 years later, is still one of the best. Still, they understood pacing. They understood how much to give us. They understood what to reveal and i am so glad they revealed what little and what amount they did because it hyped everyone up and going back to the joker heath ledger there's a scene right before he walks into the monster before his like first big reveal like in his actual costume and everything like that he starts laughing but it's not his actual the real hype age like yeah he's trying out his laugh it's almost like heath ledger as the joker trying or heath ledger trying to do a joker laugh he's experimenting with laughs that's something the fucking joker would do oh oh, he he like what the hell what what person in their right mind would do it not a person in their right mind that's the fucking joker and how he can't stick to what his backstory is that's that's actually a reference to the killing joke if he had a backstory it would be multiple choice because in in the killing joke he actually goes back to him being a mobster him being a family man him being a like a two-bit criminal or thug or something like that that's why he goes back and forth between all of these different backstories there's even a theory that none of the ones that he said are even the correct one that he was actually a soldier that's how he knows all the firearms and knives and stuff like that and explosions and why he brings up being a soldier or and all a that convoy stuff. won't doesn't matter if a convoy gets killed i exactly. think for the dark knight it is the most intriguing backstory to think about that this person suffers such PTSD at the hands of a needless war for profit that they became this madman. That's probably the most intriguing and realistic of all depictions as opposed to, my wife died and now I can't stop laughing. My, my father was a madman. See, that's the thing. I don't want to know. Yeah, I think it's more important. They talk about that a lot. That it's more important that we don't know yeah. the Joker's origin story. That's what makes him like a force of nature. Exactly. An unstoppable force, an immovable object. 
And not we've got to be careful, babe, because you have been fanboying so hard for the past five minutes. People will forget that I'm here. I know, I know, I know. So, so we need to tie it back into Jared Leto because yes, well, that's the thing. I, I like Jared Leto. I've watched him do other things. There's actually a, um, a he horror movie. method acted right. There's actually a horror. Uh, he he tried to. That's the problem. There's actually a horror movie called Urban Legend that was similar to Final Destination and Scream and stuff like that. That was okay, um, very formulaic that he was in. He didn't do a bad job in it, though. Um, but he just tried to do the same thing that Heath Ledger did. And it didn't work, obviously. But it didn't work for other reasons than for him trying to do the same thing that Heath Ledger did. They at least tried to redress the Joker-Harley Quinn romance. In the comics, they've like... She has straight up abandoned him and will beat him to a pulp if he comes near her again because they had the worst abusive relationship ever and she is tired of the shit that he put her through. he's the worst to her. Agreed. So what I'm saying is if you're going to show a Harley Quinn Joker romance, I appreciate that in the Suicide Squad movie they reframed it, that they do really care about each other. They are still insane, but he's not an abusive asshole to her. Not as bad as in the series or in the comics. Exactly. For all the little girls who say I want a Joker Harley Quinn romance, Elise is trying to redress it as something that's a bit more and the and I've hot heard... topic, less police station. Yeah, and it's uh, some people have have said that that's that's nice to have. So I did have one one bit is saying that was one big thing from the scenes that I've seen, which I have not seen Suicide Squad. But I've seen the trailer, so I've I basically like seen I've all seen the Joker scenes. Ha. Yeah. The Joker, Heath Ledger's Joker, is actually looking for a laugh. He's actually being a clown in this. An clown of chaos. He slides on the giant pile of money. <laughs> is that not something a fucking fire. clown would do? Yeah. Is that not something a fucking clown would try to do to make Does a little a magic kid laugh? trick? Exactly. This is shit a clown would do. What Jared Leto's Joker, none of that stuff a clown would do. I don't want to show you my toys. That's not a fucking clown. It's a clown in an insulting way. It's a Pennywise clown. The new it. (laughs) So there's a lot of on the top shit that we saw from Heath Ledger's Joker. Like, I was like, I remember thinking like, okay, we're giving him the Oscar because of his untimely passing. But then I went going back and watching again with a, with a more critical mindset. I'm like, okay, this is why there's way more than I saw the first few times. And then the, this whole one with Jared Leto. Just because someone dies does not guarantee in the posthumous Oscar, especially for a superhero movie, which let us remember in 2008, we had just gotten the Avengers. No, we had just gotten Iron Man. Exactly. We had just hit Iron Man. And no one in the right mind would think that eventually Marvel would rule the freaking world with its movies. No one was waiting for that. They took a gamble on having um, Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. So The only other thing I wanted to say is that Rachel's last line always annoyed the shit out of me. She's like, it felt like they wanted her, like she actually had a script of what she was going to say and then they cut her off halfway. Oh, I think that's super important. I think it's super, super important and deliberate that they show her starting off a line that you know could be, we don't even know what it could be, but our brain thinks, I bet this is going to be something really poignant 
and something revealing and something to cling to with hope. If she had been able to finish one of her lines, maybe he wouldn't have gone insane. Maybe Harvey Dent would have retained his sanity because he had that to live on with. But she dies in the middle of saying something. It is a clear and conscious choice to say that this is, this is real. We're not going to be able to give you the happy ending on this one. A lot of people are about to die. This is just the beginning. Yeah. <sighs> All right. <laughs> No, I don't want to. No, I just don't want to tear on because I had this idea before I read the Esquire article. I don't want you guys to think I'm just cribbing my articles from the AP Wire and then that's how I come do my fresh hot takes. No, um, for me it was really. Oh, has it really been ten years since Dark Knight? And then I realized what that really meant. What that really, really meant in the grand scheme of things, because we only had. Joel Schumacher before this. We tried Dark and Gritty with Tim Burton. And then Joel Schumacher took over the Batman franchise and turned into Kid uh, Camp. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna disagree with you. No, on so that. what I'm saying is then we had Spider Man. The Spider Man series I looked at my timeline. So we had the Spider Man movies that also came out before the Dark Knight. Yeah, but did. there was other movies that were dark and gritty. No, that's that's what I'm saying. A dark and gritty superhero movie. There were other movie other superhero movies talk- that were that well, were dark I, and gritty. You, you can you can be my comment section all you want, babe. I know about Spawn and I know about Blade and I know about yes, all of- and those are superhero movies. Like everyone, like I, I love know- Deadpool, but Deadpool was not the first R-rated superhero movie. When people say that, it means it's the first one to have a real impact culturally. So, yes, of okay. course. So were- are you going to sit here and say that X Men had no cultural impact? No, why would I say that? Because X-Men was dark and gritty. No. You've watched, yes, it was. You've seen the first X-Men movie, right? Yes. It's pretty bright I've and cheesy and I've watched all three campy. of them. Yeah. It, it, it's, it, it had some camp. It's yes. more like a Marvel movie than a DC movie. It is more like, I will agree with that, but it was Fox. It was Fox when it was still thinking that it needed to be fox and before it was like oh well we can do whatever the fuck we want and nobody's gonna care it was way more dark and gritty than the fantastic four movies yeah a a modicum of understanding of my position before you tear into me like a comment section please what i am imparting to you is that dark knight flipped the script you can't say that it was spawn or Blade, or Blade 2, or Blade 3, that... <laughs> Blade Trinity. Oh, that, God. That made people say that a superhero movie can be serious. The X-Men movies are not serious. They definitely have something to say and are more than just a lighthearted romp like Spider-Man 1, which sometimes feels like a freaking Universal show. First, the heart was born. Yeah. So you you understand what I'm saying? Just because there are X there are R-rated movies featuring superheroes did not mean that they flipped the script like Deadpool did. Um, even The Crow. No one even talks about The Crow except to say, "Hey, wait, there was another." But that's not the cultural landmark that people will look at these movies by. They'll say, "The Dark Knight is where the tide turned." It was where we saw that a movie about superheroes could be more realistic than some realistic crime dramas. It could take the script of superhero and make it real and relatable, in no small part due to the fact that they picked the superhero that has no superpowers. 
because they didn't do this with Superman or Wonder Woman or Green Lantern or anybody. They said, we're going to start here with this person who is a man at the very core is always just a man and see where we can push that envelope. And you see it because after that, movies especially in the DCU. Marvel tends to avoid this whole discussion of dark and gritty. And I pray to God they keep doing that because that's not what Marvel movies are about. I'll take a lighthearted romp with Ant-Man and the Wasp any day. But we cannot deny that Dark Knight directly led to Batman v Superman. Directly led to Suicide Squad. As much as Deadpool led directly to Suicide Squad. And I don't like to admit that either. Deadpool did not lead to Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad had a perfectly good script to follow, which was you're, Escape you're from Arkham. Guardians. You're thinking nope, Guardians. Nope, I'm not. You, you are thinking Guardians. Yet. You are thinking Guardians because Guardians came out and they saw how good a movie like that with all of that humor could do they, and they reshot. I, thought I just watched the Nostalgia Critic review I thought it was because it. they watched Deadpool and they said, Deadpool look at all the jokes that they of, threw into Deadpool an R-rated movie. came out after Suicide Squad. You're going to have to look that up for me because <laughs> I don't remember the timeline of that. I tell you what, timelines are not my forte. My mom asked me on Facebook the other day, hey, what order do I need to watch these movies in chronologically? And I had to look it up because, to be honest, there's far too many of them now, and they don't all come out chronologically. We're in the 10th anniversary of, you know, the Iron Man with the Avengers Infinity War, but the thing was, we're either in the 25th movie or we're about to be in the 25th movie or something like that. Somewhere in there. We're definitely in our second dozen, it feels like, of those movies. What I'm suggesting is that when there is a success in Hollywood or a failure, producers and of movies and funders of movies, big Hollywood tends to look at the parts versus the sum of the whole. For example, Alexander uh, didn't do well. The one that had the guy that played Bullseye and Daredevil. Oh, of course. You're, you're, of course. Now I can't think of his name because I know I'm sorry, everyone. Um, but there was IMDb up too. So that movie didn't do well after Gladiator did really well. But the message that Big Hollywood took away from that was historical epics must be done. They must be a dead genre. No one must care about the historical epic, as opposed to saying actually maybe it was uh, Colin poor Farrell. Colin Farrell. Maybe it was poor casting. Maybe it was a poor script. Maybe it was maybe poor... it was Angelina Jolie being weirdly cast. So they tend to look at the whole thing. They they tend to pick apart the thing that isn't why it happened. So when you look at the Batman v Superman or you look at Suicide Squad they see other movies do well and they say let's throw that into our movie even if it doesn't make sense Dark Knight did well not they don't think of it because it had a good script a good director a compelling cast a compelling narrative they say it's because it was dark and gritty that must be what audiences want quick inject everything we have with that paint it all in dark murky browns and grays and puke greens quick because that's clearly what they want they don't want a compelling script or uh, charismatic characters no it must be this they tend to distill everything down to its lowest base form and they usually miss their mark I, I get you, and I agree with that. And um, 
what happens is with the whole thing with the Suicide Squad, uh, by the way, they both came out the same year. Okay. So, but they didn't do that many reshoots and re-edit it, all that. Suicide Squad did do extensive down-to-the-wire reshoots, and most all of it was to inject humor into a movie where because none existed. Because of Guardians, not yeah. because of Deadpool. But they had a script to follow, which was Assault on Arkham. They yeah. pretty much had. Well, I mean, well, that I is mean, a Suicide Squad all, all movie. All three of these movies have plenty of scripts. It's called comics. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, if you wanted to bring that to life, like if you wanted to do Killing Joke, which you took a comic and you turned it into an animated movie, they literally just pulled the shots out of the comic book to turn them into a moving picture. Some can... some do, not all of them do. Like the Killing Joke did, yes. um, uh, Sin City did, even hell, the first Spider-Man did. If Suicide Squad had wanted to do that, the movie would have suffered nothing for it because it had a strong script to go off of. Sin City, did, or did you say Suicide, Suicide Squad? Squad. Uh, and here's the problem with the DCEU right now, and and I'm I'm gonna reveal something for the uh, for the listener that's still listening right now. <laughs> Here's the problem with the DCEU. The DCEU, where it's doing well and where it's doing terrible, where it's doing well is the animated stuff. Where it's doing terrible is all the live action stuff, except for Wonder Woman. And the reason I say that is because if you go and you watch most, if not all, of their animated movies, except for probably, like, The Killing Joke is pretty good, for the second and third acts um, because it's actually based on the Killing Joke comic book. I can't forgive it for what it did to Barbara Gordon. It's always, that's one of the worst parts about it. It's, I mean, that's the worst part about the comic book anyways. Hell, I have three of the, uh, two or three of the movies myself. There's Under the Red Hood talking about, you know, the death of Jason Todd. That's r- huge. The three that you've shown me I've really enjoyed. It was Under the Red Hood, Assault on Arkham, and the one with yeah. Batman's contingency plan for the Justice League. Oh, um, oh God. Yes, I know which one. It's like Ultimatum or something like yeah. that. That one is really good. That like that one is like a sequel for Justice League that they will try to make, I'm sure. Assault on that's part of the reason why there's a Wonder Woman animated movie out there. And I read a little bit of the synopsis and it seemed real similar to the movie. So it's like, that's why I didn't even suggest watching it. Because I'm like, no, if we watch it, it's going to be basically the same movie. And I want to watch the actual movie or the live action movie, I should say. And Assault on Arkham was pretty good. And it had a better role for the Joker. It had a better twist near the end. It had better character developments. It had better characters. There are certain movies that are going to set tones here. And there was a brief glimmering moment about a year ago where we saw one woman and I said, boy, if they take this route, we're going to be in such a better shape. I wonder what movies will look like for the DCEU 10 years from now. And then Justice League came out and they learned none of their lessons and went back to the same stuff. And I said, well, this is going to be a great movie, but we're not going to be in 10 years saying, boy, it heralded all the wrong things that are happening now because it's a shining gem in a dark and murky world. Yeah. The DCEU is not 
they're not focusing on the right stuff. They're putting it feels like they're putting all of their writing talent behind these animated movies, which these an, we're not suffering for having having these animated movies because you're getting some great vocal work. Like hell, John DiMaggio, the gentleman who voices Bender on Futurama, plays the Joker in Under the Red Hood, and possibly one of the better animated Jokers there are behind Mark Hamill and you also have other great vocal work behind them and you also you still get Kevin Conroy as Batman on a few of the few of the turns but it's just like then I guess we gotta talk about uh gotta talk about Christian Bale versus uh Batfleck then I that's the thing I've not watched any of the Batfleck stuff so I can't compare I have not watched Justice League I've not watched Suicide Squad he's so tired of being here already I, I can't, there's no comparison because I can't compare. I, I cannot sit here and say I prefer one or the other because I've not watched any of Ben Affleck stuff. Well, and do I've you heard care? Affleck is decent, so. Do you care for Christian Bale as Batman? I do. Um, I know the, the, swear to me, gets a little annoying <laughs> to people or it gets uh, grating. To be I fair, understand that's, it. that's a million times better than Martha, though. Why did you say her name? We all every Batman has to have their scene apparently where they scream weirdly. I I guess I understand why um you said why people want to pinpoint the Dark Knight on that. It's like going back and saying, oh blah blah blah, band started this fashion statement, and because of that, this band exists. It's true, though. It, it is true. And it, yes, you can absolutely connect those dots. Every artistic movement has come from a rejection of the previous artistic movement. Without modernism, we wouldn't have postmodernism. Um, it, it's proven. Yeah, but, yes, but do we really need Dadaism? <laughs> do we really? Isn't that, that the point that, of that Dadaism? Is some, that is some high, high level art history jokes They're right there. They're gonna have to do research for that joke, babe. It doesn't hit <laughs> our core demographic. Like, our art teacher is gonna laugh at this and then maybe, like, one or two of her friends. But that's about it. So uh, it's... I get what you want to say. I know that you want to put Dark Knight on the pedestal. And it is still oh, a good movie. Oh. I No question about it. But now the question becomes, based on everything that has come as a direct result of that movie, is it now worth it knowing that it has made the turn to dark and gritty irrevocably associated with the DCU? Okay, so ask me... If it's one of the greatest movies of all time. Is it one of the greatest movies of all time? Absolutely not. You've blown my mind, sir. Ask me if it's one of my favorite movies. Is it one of your favorite movies? It's at least in the top 25. Okay, well, I knew that one. There are a lot of flaws. There are some plot holes, um, like especially with this guy uh, who finds out the Batman's true identity. Yeah. And then like there's this whole plot point where like he has to die in the next 60 minutes and then Bruce like stops a car from hitting him and then like the guy is like realizes who stopped the guy from hitting him and then that just ends there's no other mention about it and there's no and there's nothing about it in the in the third movie either so they kind of cover their base but there's is a pretty big plot hole they do suffer from the nolan every line is of significance there is a way to every word that i say it's great during the movie but when you look back on it you realize it's a trope that he, that no that nolan's movies do kind of suffer from you you have an importance that you don't yet realize but you one day will it's it's something that happens unfortunately 
And it happens with a lot of comic book movies. I just would one day, you couldn't. You'd have to reinvent the entire universe all over again. But wouldn't it be that's great? What to, that's what they need to do. They need a reset button. Wouldn't it be great? Except for Wonder Woman. Like, but what, that's what I'm saying. Wouldn't it be great to see Patty Jenkins direct a Superman origin story? Wouldn't that be the sweetest, most adorable, wholesome thing you've ever heard in your entire life? Yes. I want to see her direct. She's doing something right now. I want to see Gal Gadot again. I think they're doing Wonder Woman two probably 1984 or something. Yeah, like there's in the 80s or something like that, which looks fun. But Chris Pine's back, so I'm a little weirded out about that. But I don't get it either. I'm gonna I'm gonna wait to be surprised. Yeah, I want to see. I would love to see her direct a different person. I don't know who. Like someone else. Green Lantern. Green Lantern. Anyone could do Green Lantern and do it. God, I want a Green Lantern movie, a good one, so bad because after seeing the Ultimatum movie where Batman has contingency plans for to take down all of the Justice League, seeing what happens to the Green Lantern, and of course, Nathan Fillion is voicing him, so of course I'm biased, but <laughs> just just to see him be totally torn down through his own inner turmoil, the man who can create anything is destroyed from the inside out through his own psyche. So cool. I don't know how you do that in a movie for an hour and a half, but so cool. So, yes, it would be cool to see her direct her to do a different one, like Flash or someone like that. But it's not going to, unfortunately, it's not going to happen. I don't agree with it. I don't want her to get pegged. I love what she did for Wonder Woman. I don't think anyone else could have done Wonder Woman the way she did. And I definitely no. don't want Zack Snyder making a Wonder Woman movie. I, I want Zack Snyder to take a step back. I think he already has, but I want Zack Snyder to take a step back. I want them to give the reins to someone else. Not you know, Joss got Whedon. Uh, nope, nope, nope. I know everyone loves. I know they love Buffy and put it on a pedestal. And I know, I know, guys. I you know. You liked Avengers one and two. I do like Avengers one and two, but even for all the reasons I hate Infinity War, and I hate Infinity War. Infinity War wasn't one or two. It's better than one and two. In in a this has weight and importance, and the movie is projecting forward, whereas. Avengers 1 and 2 are let's fight around until this bad guy's defeated. And again, I wanted that when you had 20 million characters all joining up. That's when I wanted that movie. We could have had some real stuff go down before this and now it's like okay let's just relax now his hands were tied to a point and you know that's part of the reason why he left the mcu oh, yeah, they get so he was supposed to direct all tied. three i yeah. think so all the constraints they put on him i just don't want him i don't want him to be the voice of female empowerment anymore i want a woman to do it i completely agree like i i like joss whedon i know he's had some issues and it's funny too we i made a reference to Kevin Spacey on the first podcast. No. Yeah. Oh boy, guys, I, I we've come a know. long way, baby. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I know he's had some issues, but the the problem is, is a lot of men have had issues, and we're let's let's just let's let's be perfectly honest. Men are idiots. We are um, stupid. Sometimes we say things that we don't realize are dumb, and um, we don't mean it. You are revealing so, trade secrets right here. They're going to revoke your card at the next meeting. Uh, if I still have one already, I don't think I lost it forever ago. No, I mean, <laughs> I know I'm an idiot. So, hell, I'm, I'm still surprised someone hasn't been like, oh, you said this forever ago. So I think men are just as capable as women of realizing their flaws and growing beyond them and making the right decisions. Yes, Yes, there are plenty of men out there like, like that, like Harmon, Dan Harmon. 
Yeah. Yeah, he got... Realized his flaws, addressed his accuser in a conciliatory and respectful tone, and has grown, I believe, in the experience without potentially irrevocably damaging his career. And now it'll remain to be seen if he's going to keep these changes and continue to grow from it. But I do like that he thought these people were actual people worthy of responding to as opposed to something else. And and I will not get into politics here because this is not well, supposed we, to be what we've we do. We've already kind of dived kind of into this. So, um, <laughs> you know, we're trying to fix the DC, which is kind of funny because... In our first episode, we talked about how we wanted to we wanted to kind of show, hey, here's our very, very, very worthless two cents on how to fix things. So, DC, dear DCEU, Zack Snyder can have some very impressive visual shots. Creative consultant. Creative consultant-ish. Ish. Executive creative consultant. <laughs> It's a meaningless uh, title, but it makes them feel good about themselves. I have to say this too: make Chris Nolan only a creative consultant. Stop Agreed. making him. Stop making him a producer. It worked for Batman. None of your other superheroes are crime dramas. Don't let him do. Unless it's like Luke Cage, or I mean, there are other, there's even other DCEU people out there who are crime dramas. Like, yeah, have them be dark and gritty. That's fine, but. Make it work that way. like Your tone should match your theme. Exactly. And if your Stop. theme is to break Superman, wait three movies of him before you decide to break him. Yeah. Don't have Batman and Superman fight just because you need to have a movie where they fight. Like, let's... like we have to read Give the- them a, con- a movie where they actually have conflict first. Yep. You have to read today's political climate, too. And again, not getting into politics, but as much as we talk about The Dark Knight influencing the dark, gritty DCEU... We have to consider the fact that 9-11 directly spawned The Dark Knight because we couldn't have our superhero movies be just fun, silly movies anymore. True. It's like, two- you, me- you mess with one New York, you mess with all New Yorkers. That, yeah, in the immediate wake, it was extreme patriotism. Six years later, we started realizing this is not how we thought this was going to go. How do you fight an enemy like terror? Yeah. You can't, not with traditional tactics anyway, and that's how we got a character like the Joker who is more terrorist like than Heath crime Ledger's villain. Joker. Exactly. Yeah. The Joker's been around for a lot longer than that. This particular iteration. And, and I agree. So. so today, in today's political climate, MCEU is doing it right, I think, because they are having more fun. And right now... We need, you know, more fun, more enjoyable while still being relevant. Wonder Woman was still sad and serious and poignant and still dealt with World War I and death in the field, but it was enjoyable to watch and she was compelling and it didn't make you feel like you were dying. And the thing is, too, is like, yeah, the Marvel movies are more fun, but it's not because they're funnier. They are just more fun to watch. I watched the Infinity War again, even though I, how much I knew it was going to. Why do you do this to yourself? Hurt. I knew that I would still enjoy the experience, and truthfully, save for the scenes with Star Lord and pretty much Gamora, I did enjoy it, like straight up. Oh, can I ask? I won't do any spoilers because this is not the Infinity War podcast episode, but. Was it my opinions about what they did to Gamora's character that made the Star-Lord Gamora scenes less enjoyable or believable? 
like with everyone else, I was looking forward to the experience. With them alone, I was not looking forward to progressing through the story. So, so I got to you. Um, eh, yes, and it was. I would say it was a mixture of you and a mixture of what actually happens in the movie. So, but I think we've talked long enough on this. So, well, you got to pick our. 10 year uh sorry one year anniversary episode (laughs) maybe in 10 years we'll still be kicking around the podcast bucket (laughs) we'll see but i uh yeah when i when i realized that not only was it our one year but it was also the 10 year anniversary of the dark knight and wally as well in my opinion the best pixar movie which i know people would argue with me and that's fine everyone's it's a tie between I like that. It's a tie between Wally and the first ten minutes of Up. That's about like equal in my eyes. I like Up. I don't like it as much as other people. Everyone's like, it's the best Pixar movie. I disagree. Yeah, the rest of it is Up is not even in my top five. Yeah, the rest of it is not really memorable. No. It's that first part that gets you every single time. It jerked you around. It's not a compelling story, it or overly compelling story. The characters are okay. And the humor gets grating after a while. So Wally is visually beautiful, has a much better story. The character development and the character relationship that evolves is so much better. Yeah, it's up isn't even in my top five. Anyways, so when I saw that, I was like, you know, let's let's look at doing that. So and it, I think this uh, worked really well. It's kind of Does that mean a re- get... revisitation. Does that mean that I get? My reward for next episode, we finally do the movie that I've been wanting to watch for at least a year. Uh, I kind of already have plans for the next You always two. have plans. No, come on. We gotta. How about it will be the next one that we do that we don't have a plan for? Okay. Because I've been waiting I, a year to watch that movie, Aaron. I know, and I have been pushing it off, and I think I've, I've pushed it off long enough. Thank you. But uh, we really appreciate you guys sticking with us for, you know, this hour or so. One more year. <laughs> One more year. And for those who have been with us for a year, I've really been enjoying doing this. I have to admit, though, I have liked pushing it back to uh, bi-weekly. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yes. I don't know how <laughs> podcasters, those who do half an hour episodes can do it once a week. And plus, we need to cut back on this. This we need to not stop. We need to stop doing this for so long. But we, I enjoy doing this. Um, we're still getting settled into the new house. We're actually we had a plan, and then we realized the plan was flawed. So we might be changing the plan and looking at doing something different. It so. won't be the podcast space that we want, but the podcast space we deserve. <laughs> and I hope that. We uh, don't die a hero right here after one successful year and not live long enough to see ourselves become the villains and have a terrible podcast that no one cares about and that we don't care about. Like, I know you're trying to wrap up, but I had something I was going to wrap up on. Oh, yeah? It's yeah. something sweet because I only like sweet things. Um, also to celebrate our one year and also to celebrate us getting the top podcasting on Blank uh, News we will actually be having a small giveaway soon. Yay! Uh, we'll have more details, um, and it'll be closer uh, to the middle of the month. No, I'm very excited about this. I think it's very fitting for one year. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited about it, too. But until next time... She- I- <laughs>
I couldn't let it go. I just want to say that I've been, I love that we've been podcasting for a year and I hope we keep doing it for many years to come, Aaron. Me too. And uh, thank you to all of those that have listened to us for a year as we progressed from one microphone to one better microphone to two microphones to two microphones with actually edit audio editing. So We're professionals now. <laughs> Award-winning professionals. But until next time. She's Elizabeth. He's Aaron. And And we're we're married married to to the the idea. idea.